Now and Again is brought to you by the Cage Club Podcast Network. For all things Cage, Keanu, and more, head on over to cageclub.me. That is cageclub.me. We play this song on the radio. We play this song on the radio. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a brief interruption in our countdown of Rolling Stone's top 100 songs of the century so far. We're taking a little detour at 50 to talk with friend of the podcast, Jarrett Brown. Jarrett, how are you? I'm well, actually. Thanks for having me on for this part. Well, uh, you're kind of our resident uh, knowledge guy, trivia keeper. Kind of uh, historian. We have to answer three questions to cross the bridge or else we, we fly off into our deaths. Um, <laughs> so what, uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about Rolling Stone very briefly, kind of its history. It's, it's peaks, it's valleys, it's still clinging on to relevance today. What are your, uh, personally, you know, uh, before we get into the history, uh, do you have any memories of Rolling Stone or any, uh, any personal attachment to this, this uh, publication? I've been reading it on and off for years since high school slash college, and it's always been the one thing I go to, to uh, for music, basically. It's always been there for me. Uh, my first real memory of it is the 1999 Britney Spears cover. And then after that, okay. it's just kind of like been a mismatch of like who's been here, who's been there. And I'll actually tell you the interesting things when we get to them, but there has been some big changes recently. Yes, there there have, um, including um, an extremely controversial uh, couple of years in the, the mid uh, the mid aughts that uh, we'll br- probably briefly touch on as we get into their politics, um, but just you know, kind of first off, jumping into it, uh, started in San Francisco in 1967, and yeah, it was a a music magazine that kind of covered everything, and I feel like you know, 67 it's pretty no- notable, um, and <laughs> maybe partially uh, why there hasn't been much in the way of change is because the publisher uh, is is still the same. This, this uh. Fellow named uh, yeah. yeah, is it Jan, Jan Warner? Yeah, Jan, yeah, Jan Warner. Warner. Yes, yeah. So it was started after this uh, summer of love, which was the biggest counterculture shift in history so far. Uh, and the first cover featured John Lennon in, ma- in military gear for a movie he was doing, and it also covered the Monterey Pop Festival, which was like probably the biggest one of the biggest festivals besides Woodstock of that time frame. Before Woodstock, yeah. I should say. And I feel like you know. It partially because um, you know print just is kind of dead now, uh, but yeah, it really hasn't changed. It still very much has this kind of boomer feel to the magazine as a whole. Um, it really still loves its old guard, as we talked about, and we'll talk about on the on the countdown. Um, but its politics have um, always kind of attempted to be a little bit ever so slightly out of the mainstream. You know, it's, it's a boomer rag, so you would think maybe it leans conservative or, uh, you know, neoliberal or even like, um, like you know, Sausalito conservative, basically. Like, um, I guess, which what would now, I guess now be more uh, like Silicon Valley conservative, uh, yeah. which I guess is just libertarian. Anyway, uh, but I mean, it's, it had people writing politics like Hunter S. Thompson. Um, Matt Taibbi, who is very leftist, is is still writing for it now, I believe. Yeah, he is, yep. Yeah, Hunter S. Thompson actually started in the late 70s. He, um, uh, 1973 is when they switched over to two politics at that point. Before that, they were just focusing on music. And Thompson was actually the biggest name at the time to be writing for Rolling Stone. And he would actually keep contributing until his death in 2005. So that tells you a lot about what he was doing. He knew what was going on, so he 
stayed on as a contributing writer after they kind of let him go a little bit, but he was still very relevant up until 2005. Uh, you know, other other writers, um, the sort of semi-fictionalized story of, of Cameron Crowe was, um, appeared in the film Almost Famous, uh, that the magazine there is, you know, sort of supposed to be uh, a Rolling Stone-esque magazine as well. And also you have Tom Wolfe, who wrote The Right Stuff, and the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test was also a big contributor to the political stuff as well, and that's where he got his start with that in Rolling Stone as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of people have, have come through and had their careers launched by this. Um, Lester Bangs is another one. Uh, you know, it, it was very ahead of its time at the time. Um, and let's talk yep. about that. Um, what are some of the things in the early days of Rolling Stone that it was uh, kind of really known for? Well, as we, as we mentioned before, uh, Thompson was a big contributor to the political stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fear and Loathing was published in Rolling Stone originally, and also his Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail was featured in it. Which is a fantastic read and, and holds up. Uh, you can just change some words today and, and still see, yeah. s- still have the fear in every way. Uh, as we mentioned too, Lester Bangs was a big deal. He wrote for only a couple years because Jan Warner didn't like the way he wrote things. So he, after like only three years, he fired him, let him go. But he basically bought Rolling Stone into what it was for music reviews. Uh, Cameron Crowe, as we mentioned, was there too. And it, before the magazine format was big with them in 73, when they switched to the magazine format, it was actually a newspaper. Okay. style so it was a little weird because you would have it tucked under your arm and walk around campus with it because apparently in the late 60s to early 70s it was a rite of passage by college students to buy the magazine which is odd so uh you know it, it's it's a general entertainment magazine now um you get yeah movies um film uh television all kinds of that stuff uh, as well as politics again peter travers i believe is still uh rolling stone's yes. film critic though he is uh, he is bland as shit, in my opinion. He's he's like he's like Gene Shalit without the fun puns. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that was in the 1980s. They actually switched to that format. Prior to that, in 1977, uh, Warner moved the headquarters of the magazine from San Francisco to New York, calling San Francisco cultural backwater, which is basically the biggest insult you can give because mm-hmm. San Francisco was at the time the cultural hotspot in the right. late 60s to early 70s. And um, so, when did it when did it flip kind of to that? Uh, so my my memory of it, and I know it, it's come back to this now, and it went away from this for a while. Um, but I remember in my you know my own memories of flipping through it at a at a Barnes Noble or wherever I was um, was it was just like an oversized magazine, like it, it commanded space yes. almost. Yes, seventy three was the year they switched to that format, and so that was but the format almost for eighty three, ninety three, two thousand three. So for like 30 some odd years, it was that big oversized format. And then in 2008, October to be exact, they switched up to the standard magazine size. And that like really annoyed everyone because you knew what Rolling Stone was when you saw it. But they wanted to be more discreet. And on that cover actually was the future president of the United States, Barack Obama. Okay. Oh, interesting. Um, and yeah. we're going to be a little bit all over the place. We're not going to go like a year by year thing on this. We're just going to kind of talk about some some things that Rolling Stone uh, has done and some trivia. I'm reading about um, Dion Werner right now, who I, I didn't honestly do any research for. Also, apparently, uh, kickstarted uh, Andy Leibovitz's career in in some ways. Uh, but you know, yeah. I think, may, and maybe this is kind of uh, the fact that he still owns so much of it and is is so hands on. Um, you know, 
when when you've had this much success and been part of something so successful for you know, nearly fifty years, uh, over fifty years, it's just like you know, it seems like he's unable to kind of roll with the the time, roll with the changes, and also you kind of become a capitalist. Um, I'm reading, you know, for example, here in '96 he fired a critic who gave. Uh, a Hootie and the Blowfish album, like the Hootie and the Blowfish album, uh, a bad review, and his response was, uh, "Any fan, I'm a fan of any band that sells eight million records." Um, so <laughs> maybe we're getting a little bit of uh, you know payola here, which is a well-known thing among print industries. It's you know Warner Brothers could very easily say, uh, "If you don't give this new Green Day album a good review, well maybe you know we just stop advertising in there." And it's not like it payola like it was with the radio stations. Um, this is a thing that happens in, in print, and you know it's it's interesting to see this kind of this boomer become the thing he hated, much like all boomers kind of did in in a way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you mentioned Annie Leibovitz. I actually have I found, was digging a little bit. Uh, December of eighty three, she shoots John Lennon. Uh, John, she shot John Lennon's last photo ever, and then five hours later, he was shot and killed by Mark David Chapman, wow. who was recently denied for the tenth time yes, parole. Fuck that guy. For the tenth time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this would be, and this was the last uh, photo of her own song she ever took, because after that, she left and started doing her own thing. Uh, in the seventies, the most popular article of this time was the Patty Her- of the Patty Hearst adoption. Oh and how she yeah, was supposedly brainwashed by the uh, Liberation Front. Yeah, so, f- so that was like the biggest thing in Rolling Stone in the seventies. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that I think is is a little too much to get into for this this show. Maybe it would be a fun. Yeah. Maybe it'd be a fun episode for you and me to talk about and kind of a, a my favorite word murder or like a drunk history kind of B side one day. Um, that could be <laughs> really be fun. Hilarious. That'd be amazing. But uh, yeah, yeah, if you don't know anything uh, about the Patty Hearst, the, the whole Patty Hearst thing, definitely, definitely Google that and and take some time and read about Patty Hearst. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, because that's that's very that's a very fun rabbit hole thing. Yeah, because you just click around a little bit and you're like going down five different pages. Uh, also in the about that time too, this is when Rolling Stone was starting to switch over to the Entertainment Weekly type format it's in right. now. So you'll see the shift start like right about here, and this is the first time that non music non musicians were featured on the album cover because before this it was nothing but musicians and no real actors or anything like that. Ah, okay. Yeah, I got that vibe from reading. Oh, um, 2006 Rolling Stone ish. Uh, released issue 1000 which is the biggest deal ever for them because that's huge wow wow okay i'm actually kind of shocked that it took that long to get to a thousand i guess i guess that math works out um i I mean here's a a point um it's it's a monthly magazine has it always been a monthly magazine no before this it was bi-weekly so every other week it was putting out an issue so you would get two issues a month with it so that's why it took that long it actually got there that quick, I should say, because every month you're getting one at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month. So you're looking at roughly two a month or one every other week. Right. So it went pretty quick to get to a thousand, actually, in my opinion. So when's the last time you read a Rolling Stone? I actually have one, and I'm actually looking directly at it right now. I had to dig it off of my flo- off my floor because it was at the edge of my bed. I was reading it last night. Um. I actually have the second issue of the revamped and revitalized Rolling Stone, which is now monthly, officially. Okay. When, uh, yeah. So last year, Jan Warner sold his remaining share, which was 51% of the magazine, to Penske Media. And after this, they started to rebrand it and reformat it. The first issue featured Cardi, the first rebranded issue is July 2018, and that featured Cardi B and Offset on the cover. Wow, that's going to be uh, some trivia. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's trivia. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Right. It's back to the oversized format, which is a good thing because you'll know it's Rolling Stone when you see it. Uh, it's also now monthly, like I mentioned, and there is a lot more. It's a less. It's still very political, but it's also at the same time more of uh, appealing to the millennial generation now too, because they have a lot of a lot more uh, coverage with the with uh, media and stuff like that. They still have the politics. I just opened to that by accident as I'm looking for the other thing, and they actually just switched over to more TV coverage because they're starting to realize now that millennials <laughs> like TV. So that's a big. That's well, we are a the big quote unquote deal. golden age of television. Uh, trying to find it. Oh, yep. And this one is um, actually Alan Sieben, Siebenwall, who yeah, is actually local from boy. the Star Ledger here in New Jersey. He is now the head writer for TV writer for Rolling Stone. He has actually a very good article in here that I skimmed over briefly, and it's kind of a debate, which I agree with. Uh, better Call Saul, better than Breaking Bad. Uh, I'm sure there are people out there who are listening to this who are uh, either nodding in agreement or punching like their car stereo right now uh, I haven't seen and or flipping tape yeah I haven't seen I any of Better Call Saul's because we uh, we have discussed uh, our opinion on Breaking Bad uh, on this show which is that it's uh, it's pretty good it's just not the best show of all time uh, which that alone gets people yeah. really angry is the, the fact that we are not uh, getting extremely erect and trying to fuck our DVDs of uh, Breaking Bad makes makes people very angry sometimes <laughs> And Sepinwall, if, if you've never read some Sepinwall, I, I highly recommend um, looking him up. He is uh, a great television writer. He did get his start in a, you know, a Central Jersey local rag and has really been working his way up. And uh, he doesn't suck, honestly. He's, he's one of the better. I, no. I discovered him when I was, well, because he's our local paper, uh, but also when I was big into Lost during its initial run. And uh, he didn't just have shitty takes on it and, like, conspiracy theories like everyone else did. He, uh, you know, he's, it's, it's intelligent TV writing, which there's not enough of considering how like you said it's the golden age of television everyone's rushing to put out like weekly episodic recaps where a bunch of people just go this happened this week boy i wish these two characters would kiss uh that was a silly thing that happened you you need some depth here and Sepinwall is actually pretty good at that yeah his two books i have actually read both of them uh the revolution was televised which is about probably from the start of breaking bad from uh, no, from the Sopranos roughly to Breaking Bad is actually really good, and then his second book, which is uh, t- called TV, the book is really good too. Him and another writer rank pretty much about every big TV show in the history of television into a, like a top two hundred or so list, and they uh, I don't agree with the number one essentially, but the everything after that is really good where it should be like plus or minus a spot or two, but. He's a very he is a very good writer. His Sopranos coverage was phenomenal. I remember reading that like when I didn't have HBO to figure out what was going on. I uh I want to talk very briefly about um the, the, some of the criticism that Rolling Stone has received uh, because we we kind of cover this a lot and uh, you know if if we haven't dug as deep into it in the countdown we're going to dig deep into it in the future and I do publicly uh, on air want to shout out Jared Brown for uh, he was like hey you and me should do this top 100 thing and I was like yes Nico and I will do it <laughs> just, just <laughs> and I do feel a little bad about that uh, I do feel a little bad about that uh, but only because Nico and I just I um you know it's it's you know we 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 felt that three people for that would take forever and it's already taking forever but uh, you know you are you are great at this kind of stuff and, and thank you and sorry uh, for <laughs> for 
for the the idea for that. I just basically said to myself when you when I asked you, oh, when are we recording this? You're like, oh, we did it. I'm like, oh, oh well, no big deal. No, no, okay. I I did give you a heads up. I was like, hey, we we did do this, uh, but we already it was it was kind of a uh, Ozymandias thing. Like I did it 32 minutes ago or whatever. But yeah. yeah. Um, no, but some of the yeah, no big deal, like some of the uh, some of the criticism that Rolling Stone has got, which we bring up, um, apparently they did a 500 greatest songs of all time at some point. A critic referred to it as an example of unrepentant rockist fogeyism. Uh, some other things that they have done, uh, talking about how Rolling Stone always tries to kind of ride the current trend, but just is usually a little too late on it. Um, apparently they really wrote off Led Zeppelin for most of the band's active years, and then in 2006 honored them as the heaviest band of all time. Um, and all- Which is a sacrilege, because that should, that should belong to Black Sabbath, in my uh, opinion, yeah. but there is everybody yes, else. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, at least the first heavy band, maybe. Uh, but yes, for sure, they, uh, they deserve more yeah. credit for the, the heavy in general. Um, also, if you just look at Rolling Stone's history, some have said that it, like, ignored hip-hop and ruthlessly panned heavy metal to genres that would, in a few years, dominate the pop charts. And, um, yeah, and that's kind of where we talked about um, just how Rolling Stone has never really been with the time. Uh, they, they've always yeah, been kind of, like you said, it's kind of a neoliberal rag. It doesn't like to rock the boat too much. Um, and it does kind of give a lot of deference to, you know, the 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 old stalwarts, your your U twos, your Dylans, uh, things like that, your Springsteens. And I also like to mention you for a contra- uh, controversy, the UAV UAV rape yes. story that supposedly yes, happened. Yes, that's exactly what I have to touch sure, on. Sure, go ahead. Uh, yeah, give us some background. But so that uh, so what basically happened was in uh, and I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for this, so this is I'm basically basically going to summarize it. Uh, what supposedly happened on in the uh, November. 19, 2004 issue, there was an article published called A Rape on Campus, which was about a female student who was supposedly gang-raped on the University of Virginia campus. It was a part of a hazing ritual in one of the fraternities. Apparently, as it turns out, it was all fictionalized and never really happened. Did it really happen? Because all, everyone who was at this party was like, hey, like this didn't happen because this girl wasn't at this party. And yeah, and uh, it was it was huge. Um, and I mean, this this doesn't happen often. Um, you know, fake rape stuff does not happen much. Um, uh, and when it does, it's pretty highly publicized. Um, the Duke lacrosse case from a couple years back, and Nancy Grace Nancy Grace's like kind of public downfall is yep. another example of that. For for major publications and people with any kind of reach to publish this stuff and then be like, oh no, it was fakesies. Just disgusting. Top to bottom, wretched, unconscionable. Yeah. Does so much more harm in the long term. And they they got fucked for it. <laughs> yeah, I think I actually bought this issue. I don't know if it was like the way it was written or like the fact that a lot of the stuff seemed off, but then when everything started to come up, I'm like, oh, never mind. They got hit with lawsuits from the dean of the, the associate dean of the school. Uh, they got hit with the fr- gradu- uh, by graduates from the fraternity, um, and and the fraternity itself. There's no no results on Wikipedia of the student one, but they definitely did lose the one with the assistant dean. Yeah. Oh, uh, on November 9th... Hold on, hold on here. Uh, at the end of the article, on November 9th, the. Uh, Phi Kappa Psi Fraternity filed a suit for $25 million for damages to its reputation caused by the magazine with reckless uh, 
disregard for truth. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, it looks like they. We don't know what happened with it. Which probably means it was a settlement. Yeah, probably when, outside. When that happens, it usually means. They got, yeah, it means there's a contraction. Yeah, like, just, yeah this just kind of. I uh, can't talk about it usually. And they had to apologize several times. Um, uh, honestly, this this woman should. And this isn't. You know, you hear that like your description of it, and I, I mean, just from hearing it myself when it actually happened, I assume this was like a young writer like you did as well. Like maybe like in her late third, uh, late. 20s early 30s something like that this is this is a, a 45 46 year old woman who has been writing for for a, a pretty a long, long amount of time like who should absolutely know yeah. better this isn't this isn't a, a Stephen glass situation like this is this is this is just uh willful falsehoods this is this is uh well i guess that's what Stephen glass was too but this is this you should know yeah. better uh this isn't a young person trying to get a, an edge up and uh yeah so i mean <laughs> you, could, you could look into that a little bit more uh it's disgusting it's it's really it's, gross yeah it's uh, that person the whole should. wikipedia article is like long yeah. is like super long and like not even fun to i'm like yeah i'll read that eventually that's a deep dive one night you had to do when you had the time yeah i mean i always something that you know when people bring this up something that i i say a lot is uh it, it sucks when uh donald trump is right about things because he's always right for the dumbest fucking reasons uh but journalism is like really bad right now like journalism has been really shitty for the last couple of years and there's a lot of contributing factors to that and not really something that is for this podcast but like journalism is is getting really really fucking shitty uh it's still happening uh it's it's consistent and one plagiarism thing is not an example of like it's not a new thing this happens a lot i mentioned stephen glass we see this um but you know a lot of the time uh journalists do a lot more damage than uh than than help the cause and uh yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, but back to Rolling Stone uh, being uh, a magazine. Um, uh, I'm also looking here. Um, they – where is it? Uh, I just saw something that was pretty cool. Um, oh, we could talk about um, the two uh, writers who they hired, uh, to the guys who broke the Goldman Sachs stuff. Um, sure. Oh, Matt yeah, Tukib. yeah. Yeah, yeah. we had to touch on that because they are like some of the biggest things out there. For this, so without them, we basically would have we would have been in the dark with this stuff. So uh, that is in two thousands. That is, um, they hired them in the early two thousands. Uh, Michael Hastings, who is probably one of the biggest names in this now, he actually wrote an article before this um, about which actually I'm actually interested in reading now, but I have to find it called "I Lost My Love in uh, Baghdad: A Modern War Story," and apparently it's about a soldier who. Oh, who died in Afghanistan uh, after being ambushed by gunmen, and mm-hmm. like he wrote the whole thing about that. That was not in Rolling. That, yeah, that was in Rolling Stone. Excuse me, and that was pretty much his first big deal. And then um, he's now. Oh wow, he's actually dead. He died in uh, 2013 when he was in a car accident. Oh wow. So Michael Hastings isn't writing for uh, Rolling Stone anymore. Yeah. God bless. So God bless yeah. him. I'm gonna screw up his name because I'm <laughs> I'm whiter than anybody. Matt Taibbi. Uh, Taibbi, I believe. Yeah. Ta- Taibbi, thank you. Yeah, I, yeah. As I said, he's still contributing. He wrote a couple books recently. Um, actually, one in, <laughs> you'll love the name of this one. Uh, called the Insane Clown President Dispatches from the 2016 Circus. Oh, geez. Well, you know, here's here's the two things I, I really remember about uh, Taibbi. He's always been surprisingly leftist for a magazine that I find to be extremely neoliberal, and I remember when Andrew Breitbart died, he wrote an article basically saying, like, fuck that guy. Uh, Don't, don't, like, journalists shouldn't write about him just because he was also a journalist. Like, he fucking sucked. Fuck that guy. 
and he got a lot of blowback for that. And he was like, no. And, you know, it's, it's relevant because, you know, uh, John McCain just died. And we're seeing a lot of, like... Uh, mostly journalists and and liberals being like, ah, you know, he was one of the good ones. Uh, it's like, you're allowed to, you know, just FYI, folks, much like you're allowed to not like songs, as we've talked about on the show before, uh, you can hate people for their politics. Just because people die doesn't mean, like, they were suddenly a good person or we should respect them. Yep. You, like, people can suck. Like, John McCain fucking sucked and now he's dead and good. Um, but also, Taibi uh, was one of the first people, I remember, to maybe around, like, September or October of... 2016 to go, yo, uh, Donald Trump can win this. Um, like, fucking look around, and you can't run a campaign on, hey, at least I'm not fucking this guy, right? Like, at least I'm not him. Look yeah. at this clown. You can't run a campaign on that. And he was one of the first people to be like, he could do this, guys. Like, what are you doing? You need to take this seriously. And yeah, no, he, he's, got his, he's got his finger on the pulse of politics, for sure. Yeah. The big article that he wrote is called, I had to look it up now, it's called The Great American Bubble Machine, which he described Goldman Sachs as a vampire, scrib, squ- vampire squid wrapped around the face of humanity, relent- relentlessly jamming its blood funnel into anything that smells like money. So, yeah. yeah, that's pretty damn awesome. That's an awesome way to describe Goldman Sachs as well, too, which I still don't understand why they're around. Yeah, and, uh, well, hey, because... Um no one got because <laughs> no one got prosecuted after uh, you know that whole that whole thing um, Big Short is a great movie on that uh, actually yeah 100% we'll agree with that <laughs> um, so yeah I mean that's that's kind of the that's, the cliff notes on, yeah. on Rolling Stone's ebbs and flows um, certainly not as relevant today as it was in say 1975 but what what is the fact that it it's, still exists uh, is, is saying something at all and I'd also like to add that if Rolling Stone wasn't around, we wouldn't have the very, very now shitty, undersized alternative press, which is oh, pretty yeah. much now complete trash. <laughs> I actually tried to look through it one day, and I'm like, I don't know any of these bands, so I'm not going to touch this ever again. I imagine at this point, alternative press is either just like writing about bands with like extremely angular hair, <laughs> with with names like um, "Present at My Own Funeral" or something like that. And uh, or just like SoundCloud rappers who do a bunch of Xanax. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but Rolling Stone, at least, it's still trying to stay relevant. Um, their website is actually better than the magazine now, in my opinion, a little bit here and there. I didn't even think about the website. I haven't seen it in a while. Let's, let's yeah, check it out. The web- it like. Yeah, the um, yeah the website actually went through a major redesign at the, around uh, earlier this year. So you pretty much get that uh, new type of look to it. But it is pretty much the magazine and stuff like that but they do have a lot of like news flashes essentially they actually reprinted a yeah. david foster wallace article on john mccain from 2000 which is pretty cool uh, if i see that yep uh but also they show like the feet cover feature which is eric church this month uh he's like the bigger one he's on the cover of the magazine but you also get a lot of like current music news like they're very big with that so it's mm-hmm. kind of like hey like let's let's publish this like there is oh god i had to read this later um a brief history of willie nelson and frank sinatra's bromance which i actually kind of am interested in reading about because that sounds pretty damn cool and and that is something that you know i think a lot of people maybe think that rolling stone is um just reviews and entertainment stuff but they do do yeah. a decent amount of of long form uh journalism which oh uh, yeah is, is that's what they're really that's yeah that's what they're really like this is kind of like what they're starting to be known for like they're taking the BuzzFeed formula and essentially putting it into a 
more pop culture format, whereas BuzzFeed will like let you write anything you want. Rolling Stone wants you to write mostly about entertainment mm-hmm. stuff, so this is definitely like one of those things where I'm going to be like, okay, let's see, because they were both active during the same time frame, so who knows how interesting it could be. I guess that's that's kind of it. Um, a lot of people are probably listening to this and being yeah, like, yeah, I, I know what Rolling Stone is, but uh, you know, I think there's there's people who have kind of lost any kind of awareness of, of print media, and uh, just because we grew up when Rolling Stone was like vaguely relevant, uh, doesn't mean that you know your Jonas and friends of the show who are significantly younger. Uh, they they have no reason to know what Rolling Stone is, and it's something that uh, I think is a very Rolling Stone mindset for when when you hear people be like, you don't know who Led Zeppelin is, you don't know who the you don't you don't know you never listen to a Beatles song. It's like just just because they like they were popular or it was a thing doesn't mean like you're obligated to know what it is. Um, if it's not your generation, like you you have you weren't there like there's no reason that you need to go backwards i think you should i think you should just for history and knowledge and context but like i don't think any 20 year old needs to know what rolling stone is and i wouldn't be shocked if some of them don't and no. uh that's kind of why we just kind of summed up what it is and what it's been doing and yep. hit some bullet points before we jump back into the top 50 yep. it needs to, it needs to be discussed because it is a very important thing and also the cultural gap the cultural mindset mm-hmm. i should say because without rolling stone we wouldn't have the modern review essentially yeah uh, and that's that's rolling stone uh it's uh, named after a dylan song that that could have told you everything that uh, yep. we really needed to to know about it or a muddy water song depending on who you ask and also the saying a rolling stone gathers no moss sure uh jared where can people find you oh what can i uh you can find me at my name Jarrett brown one word on twitter and instagram so if you want to give me a follow there i would love it yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, and we will, yeah, we've already talked about when you'll be back, uh, but everyone else will be hearing you uh, talk with me about Tony Hawk 2 oh, yeah. uh, in, an, in a couple of months. So we're going to dig back into the, uh, the video game soundtrack library and uh, talk about a game that we both loved about uh, half of our lives ago. <laughs> half God, wow, I'm old. Yeah, let's, 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 go, uh, let's go die, just like Rolling Stone. <laughs> Never. And uh, you can find me uh, at Chris Podcasts on the old Twitter. Rate and review the show, iTunes, or wherever you get it. Leave an awesome review for us so that more people can listen to us complain and we can make boomers mad when they find us shit-talking Rolling Stone and everything else that they love. Cageclub.me for all good things. I was just on an episode about Mad Max, my season of Cinemakers, about Christopher Nolan, is coming to an end. And, of course, now and again finishing up the top 50 Rolling Stone songs of the century thus far. And until then, when I'm back with Nico talking about 50 to 1, catch you on the flip side. Like a rolling stone Like a sex machine Like a rolling stone